After the debut of Britney Spears in late 1998, record labels across America were all scrambling to find their own Britney. After all, the solo female blonde pop star was a business model that hadn't really worked since Madonna debuted in the early 80s. Every other pop blonde that came out after her came and went. So, when Britney stuck, the music industry struck gold. RCA Records got Christina Aguilera, Columbia Records got Jessica Simpson, and Epic Records got a young teenage girl by the name of Mandy Moore. Her first album was a carbon copy of the Pop-Tarts of the time, so for her second official full-length release, she wanted to take some risks, and alas, was born her self-titled album. With Middle Eastern-influenced tracks like In My Pocket, heartbreaking ballads like Cry, and innocently lustful grooves like Crush, the album is a second chapter in Mandy's early pop career, and it's so nostalgic to so many of us who grew up in that era. So let's take a trip back in time to two. 2001 and unpack the third release and second official full-length album by Mandy Moore. From pop stars and boy bands to alt-rockers and rappers, the 2000s had a bit of something for everyone. So it's no wonder that decades later, the same power of the music released has been so strong. I'm Michael Kadosh, and I want to welcome you to my musical time machine, where I deep dive into some of the best albums released in the 2000s. And I may even be joined by some special guests here and there. This is Planet 2000s. Welcome back to a new week in the world of Planet 2000s. Today we're talking about Mandy Moore and we're going to be talking about her second official studio album, the self-titled Mandy Moore. Technically, it's her second full-length album, but it actually was her third release, as her second release, I Wanna Be With You, was really just a repackaged version of her debut album, So Real. So many people do consider this her third album, but frankly, it's her second. So we're going to be referring to this album as her sophomore album this entire episode. The album was released through Epic Records on June 19th, 2001, and it saw Mandy taking a much stronger role in the creative direction of her music. And this time around, she really wanted her voice to be heard. She did her best to transition out of the bubblegum teen pop music that she was recording for that first album, So Real. And this time she experimented with more pop rock and Middle Eastern grooves, some live instruments, a lot more live instruments. Back to the Middle Eastern vibe, yeah, there actually are genuine Middle Eastern influences on this album. She expressed a desire to perform with more live instruments, and she said in many interviews that she didn't want any more dancers, she didn't want any more singing to tracks. She got tired of that in a big way. Playing in the background, so... I wanted to be able to have a band play most of my songs like right off the bat in concert, you know, when, when I'm touring and stuff like that. I, I just want to feel like a real musician, you know, and not have to dance and have choreography to every song with background dancers and stuff like that. So. One of the first songs that I have written, it's called When I Talk To You, and I co-wrote it with uh, my guitarist on the road, Matthew. We were sitting, I think, in Detroit and uh, we were getting ready for sound check. He was warming up his guitar, was warming up my voice, and he kept doing this lick over and over again. And sometimes we would just, you know, like fool around. I would like sing and stuff to something that he- Mandy worked with a wide variety of writers and producers on this project, including Emilio Estefan Jr., Tim Mitchell, Peter Morkren, and Matthew Hager. It was her tracks with Emilio Estefan that explored the Middle Eastern sound that frequented throughout the album. So songs like In My Pocket, Saturate Me, One-Sided Love, and It Only Took a minute were all produced and written by Emilio Estefan and they all have that Middle Eastern experimental vibe. I don't know I guess I'll just let the album speak for itself but I'm really happy because it's um, a lot of real instruments a lot of like organic elements in each song just cool I think the next level of pop music. I'm proud of it. Music is what I'm most passionate about, but it's so cool that I'm lucky enough to have the opportunities to like dabble in a little bit of everything. Marker. Action! I 
think it's so cool that I get to have fun and try something different by doing a film. Because all of that interests me. It's interested me since I first started off doing musical theater, which is acting and singing. I am definitely more passionate about singing, but there's this different rush of... Mandy also worked with songwriter Shelley Pekin on the track 17. She worked with Diane Warren on the song From Loving You, and she worked with Scott Cutler and Anne Preven on the song Yo-Yo. You actually may recognize Scott and Anne's writing because they wrote the song Torn by Natalie Imbruglia, and they also wrote the song Listen by Beyonce, which was featured in Dreamgirls. So yeah, Beyonce and Mandy Moore share a songwriting team. How amazing is that? Mandy herself also earned her first ever writing credit on this album. On the song When I Talk to You, it closes the album and it was co-written with Matthew Hagar. This was the first song that Mandy ever wrote on that was released. This album is a special album just for that reason. That's kind of how it started and before we knew it, like we had the first and second verse and chorus and bridge and lyrics and like it's really beautiful and I wanted it to be the last song on the album. It's acoustic and then it has a, a string quartet like uh, two, uh, two violins, a viola and a cello far in the background, but it's more an acoustic song, and it talks about friends and my circle of friends getting smaller because I'm on the road and not being able to keep in touch with people as much as I had in the past and stuff like that. So it's not a lovey-dovey song, which is kind of cool. I am so, so, so excited about the album. More than anything, I cannot wait for people to hear my music. It's so different from what I think people are going to expect from me. I think people are expecting Candy Part 2. No matter how long I talk about it, no matter how much I talk about it, I still think that you can say one thing and people are going to... Three singles were released from this album, In My Pocket, Crush, and Cry. So you already know what we're about to do. Let's get into it. In My Pocket. In My Pocket was the first single that was released from the Mandy Moore album. It was released on May 1st, 2001, the day before my sixth birthday, actually. Mandy herself had only just turned 17 years old at the time of this single release. The track was written by Randall Barlow, Emilio Estefan, Liza Quintana, and Glenn Marcos Zignano, all of whom were members of Emilio's writing team at the time. The song is definitely sexy. It's, I don't know, it's a little disturbing to know that she was so young recording lyrics like how much for your love you know the lyrics dance around being naughty while still being innocent but she's not explicitly saying anything but man is she is she implying it especially in the way that she's singing it she's using that breathy britney tone to sing toying with the naughty and the innocent and what that line is from her eyes it really was just her having fun and having a lot of energy the really great thing about the song is it has a lot of energy it's not a cutesy little song i guess you could say it's got a lot of like aggression, it's got like good guitars, good percussion. The song is just really energetic and I think that's really gonna reflect in the video. There's gonna be so many things going on in the video that it's, I, I definitely wanted it to be one of those type of videos that you could watch over and over again, but see something different and new each time you, you watch it. The repetition of the question, tell me how much for your love, emphasizes the desperate longing for love and the fear of not being worthy of it. Yeah, it's not prostitution, it, you know, even though it may sound like she's singing it a little bit sexy, but it's not meant to be that way. I love the song, don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I do find that a little weird. The lyrics of In My Pocket tell a story of vulnerability, longing, fear of revealing one's true self in a relationship. I mean, the opening line, you know, among the many muted faces, you try to find me in the spaces. That paints a picture of a person who's searching for their identity amidst the chaos of their everyday life. And the song continues to explore the theme of self-discovery and the fear of being seen for who you are. Slap Magazine's Sal Sinkamani gave the song a positive review. He favored the departure from Mandy's previous singles and called it a home to one of the best pop hooks in recent 
recent memory. So it was like a great pop song. And he stated that the lyrics far more penetrating than anything on her pop peers' plates. Matt Deal from Entertainment Weekly, however, did agree more with my take, you guys, and found it a little disturbing and even related the lyrics to those that dance around naughtiness evolve into nonsense. People Magazine, on the other hand, complimented the instrumental and Middle Eastern vibes, calling it perfect for summer. It really was great vibes. I just don't love how young she was singing a song so sultry like this. The music video directed by Matthew Rolston was shot in a nightclub vibe. It had a, it wasn't a real nightclub, but they turned it into a nightclub. It was a soundstage and it had a Middle Eastern look as well as an Asian look and vibe that went with it. A lot of neon lights, a lot of strobe lights. There fire blowers, belly dancers. She was sitting on a throne. So I don't know. I just had good vibes and was really pretty aesthetically. Basically, before today, I knew so little about the video that it kind of stressed me out. Matthew Ralston's amazing. I've had photo shoots with him and the cool thing about him is he knows what his pictures are going to look like before he even takes them. So when it comes down to a video like this, when we're kind of under time constraints and we want to make the best video possible, I have more faith in him than anybody in the whole world, any other director out there. And I just, I wanted to work with him once. The whole thing about this video is it's really about details, all these intricate scenes in these different rooms, and it's set in this restaurant of sorts, and they're totally kind of, not gutting it, but they're adding their own like little touches and cool floors and like black walls and neon signs. It's gonna be such eye candy that I, I can't wait for people to see it and hear the song too. This video premiered on TRL on April 20th, 2001, and no, it did not become a huge hit, but it did allow Mandy the room to move away from the Britney, Christina, and Jessicas of the world, all of whom that she was heavily compared to in those days. And the track was actually a hit in Australia. It reached number 11 there, and it reached number 26 in Austria, and number two on the US bubbling under Hot 100 charts, which is number 102, the equivalent, along with number 21 on the US mainstream Top 40 radio charts. It also has a gold certification in Australia, and special shout out to the Hex Hector remix of the song, because that shit is fucking fuego. Look that up, trust me. The second single released from the Mandy Moore album was the teen pop cutesy pootsy track, Crush. Yes, I called it cutesy pootsy because that's what it is, man. <laughs> Crush was written by Kenny Joya and Shep Goodman, and it was officially released as a single to pop radio in America on September 17th, 2001. Its video premiere was in August on TRL. The chorus is super cute. She's got a crush on this boy, and she hopes that he feels the same way she does. Mandy, I know you were 17 when you released this, but damn. I'm 28, and... Hell, I have a crush on this boy, and I always hope he feels the way I do, whether he does or not, but I know, don't think that ever really changes. I think no matter what age we are, when we like somebody, we'll always have those butterflies and feel like we're teenagers again, right? The song is super sweet, heartfelt, and relatable for youngins and oldins like myself who just have that little crush on somebody. I hate that you can't plan that stuff because, you know, you end up crushing on those who you might your mind might not want you to crush on, but what the fuck are you supposed to do when you feel that shit, right? I don't know why I do this every episode. <laughs> All these songs are about this stuff. That's why I go there. The music video was directed by the great Chris Applebaum. He directed the Britney Spears Overprotected Dark Child remix video, and in 2023, he fed us that amazing tea about the fact that Justin Timberlake broke up with her on that set. This was around that time. He had done this video right before that. In this video, Mandy sings with her band in her apartment before it switches around to different places in her apartment, such as her bedroom, a purple room, a jungle-themed living room, a bathtub she submerges herself into, very Britney every time. She's just singing the song with her band, and it's super cute, and the end of the video has Mandy in a replica of the Michael Jackson thriller jacket. 
really, really random, but as a Michael Jackson super fan, I'll take it. This video is really nostalgic for me, actually, because I actually had this video downloaded, not on LimeWire, because I don't even think LimeWire was a thing then. I think it was still Napster. I would watch this over and over, and this was before YouTube, so we had to illegally download the videos that we wanted to watch. Don't arrest me. Everyone did it back then. <laughs> and Crush was maybe one of the 14 videos that I had on my computer, so I would watch this all the freaking time. I'm not lying. I truly have watched it hundreds of times. And my note off the top of my head right now is like, as a child, I remember always loving her dark eye makeup in this video too. And the video was a hit on TRL. It actually reached number one on the countdown. So that's really, in the music world of 2001, that's all you needed for a song to be a hit. You didn't even need it to chart on the Billboard charts, especially since Mandy's audience was literally the teens of the time. And she was taking over MTV. She had the Mandy Moore show. And so she would interview artists on that show. They were always behind the scenes of her videos. And they really gave her a lot of love for this album era. And that's why people my age at the time and a bit older teenagers were really 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 into it in terms of the official charts the song reached number 25 in australia number 35 on the u.s mainstream top 40 chart and number 19 on the bubbling under hot 100 which is 119 oh the third single the third single, Cry, my personal favorite Mandy Moore song that has ever been recorded. It was the first single also for the soundtrack to A Walk to Remember. Does it get any more perfect? It was released as a single on November 4th, 2001, and it was written by James Reynolds, who also co-produced the song with Peter Morgan. This was the first of two songs from A Walk to Remember soundtrack that I think have earned recognition over the years. There were a few other songs on that soundtrack, of course, that she did, but it's this song and Only Hope that really I think people remember. Mandy said in a Billboard interview that she carried around a copy of the song Cry for over a year before she even recorded it. She said, it felt like an ace in the hole. It's such a beautiful song on every level. I couldn't wait to get into the studio and sing it. And she also spoke about her work with James Reynolds, the co-writer and co-producer of the song, and said that he had to peel her out of the vocal booth because she just wanted to sing it over and over. I relate to that, Mandy. I still want to sing this song over and over. And so she actually recorded four songs for the soundtrack of A Walk to Remember. If you include Cry, the balladry of it all, right? So Cry was the transition from the end of this album era into her movie career. She did The Princess Diaries, which came out in August 2001. She sang Stupid Cupid in the movie. And she was actually promoting the single Crush at the same time that the film was released. And then the single Cry was the transition into A Walk to Remember. Someday We'll Know was the B-side to Cry. It also was featured in the film, a duet with Jonathan Foreman. And the Switchfoot cover Only Hope obviously is the one that we all love and cry to. And there was another song called It's Gonna Be Love, but Only Hope. Damn, that song is just, you know, Only Hope and Cry, just everything. Everything, everything, everything. We recorded Ashley last weekend for the play scene, which I have uh, supposedly penned the song for, for the play. And so I sing in the play, and I also sing at church, at my father's church in the choir. Um, I, <laughs> I guess the way I phrased it and stuff, we, we actually just finished shooting the play sequence yesterday. It was so freaky to be singing, and, and it wasn't me. It was Jamie singing. It wasn't Mandy. Um... I fell in love with the song, especially that I have to do for the play, and I didn't get to deliver it the way that I, uh, as I guess like as a singer, as a recording artist, would have liked to have delivered it, but it was really cool. It was a beautiful song, just me and a piano, and... It was sweet, I think. Mandy performed the song Cry at the 2001 Walt Disney World Christmas Day Parade. Funny guys, upon checking the charting for this album, apparently Cry charted nowhere. I don't know how that's possible because straight up growing up in Canada on much music, this video played all the time. I'm not lying, all the time. So I don't know if the data is just not out. I have no idea. Maybe somebody who's listening 
to this can give me the info, give me the intel. But apparently this charted nowhere. Go figure. It was number one in my house, I'll tell you that much, because it's one of my favorite songs of the 2000s. Cry also has 55 million streams on Spotify, and Only Hope has like 85. That's a lot for a song from that era. So you're going to tell me that that didn't chart? Get the fuck out of here with that. Mandy performed her own headlining show, her first ever in this era. In an effort to promote the record, she performed the show and it was titled Mandy Moore Live at Shoutback and seven of her songs were performed, five of which were from this album. On top of that, she appeared on a number of talk shows and events to promote the record, performing the singles. So she was on TRL, MTV Asia Sessions, The Rosie O'Donnell Show, Miss Teen USA, Live with Regis and Kelly, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Channel V, the MTV Asia Awards, and she did promo trips to Australia, Japan, you name it. I was in Tokyo for a week before I headed over to Australia, and it was very hot. It was very <laughs> good day. It was it was really warm, but um, a great reception. They're they're liking the music over there, so I had. It was my first trip over there, actually, but um, people are are receiving the music well, so I was happy. Very happy. Is someone the best? You know what? I think we all have our own different things to offer people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I I think especially musically, the comparisons have have kind of come to a halt for a little bit. Um, I think people are really starting to differentiate us musically, you know, the Christinas, the Britneys, myself and Jessica and stuff like that. Um, I'm venturing off doing my own thing. I just finished two movies. I have my own show on MTV back in the States that I host. So I'm trying to do my own thing out there as well, which is cool. She was also hosting the Mandy Moore show on MTV, which you got to check out her interview with 3LW. It's so cute. Something that's really interesting to note is that once the promotion cycle for this album ended, which was early 2002, to this day, she's never publicly performed any of the songs on this album live, and she only just started doing Only Hope. None. Like, ever. Mandy, what the hell? We need to change that. This album is so beloved. Your fans love it. We need you to give it some love. Entertainment Weekly gave this album a B-, saying that Mandy tries out new sounds, eastern rhythms, jangly percussives that help separate her from the pack. Best of all, she spares us look-at-me vocal gyrations in favor of a breathy Natalie Imbruglia vibe. As teen pop goes, it could be a lot worse. I love the scene the Natalie Imbruglia. She worked with those same writers. It makes perfect sense. Rolling Stone magazine said it's so rare and refreshing when a teen star takes the high road. Mandy's CD offers the most startlingly liberated teen pop since 80s mall rat icon Tiffany euphemistically declared herself new inside. So this album actually got great reviews and Mandy wasn't expecting it to get good reviews. I'm so excited because I've kind of been in movie mode for the past month and a half and I can't wait for people to hear the new music. It's not going to be some probably critically acclaimed thing. It's a pop record, but I think it's a big step for me. It's a left turn that I don't think many people are going to expect. There's a lot of organic elements to each song, whether it's live guitar, bass, percussion, a string quartet. I just... I wanted to have that type of element because my musical tastes have changed and I kind of wanted to take it more in a direction of music that I enjoy to listen to, but in terms of pop music, what I feel is kind of lacking on the radio right now. Like, I think there's a lot of great pop music out there right now, but it's a lot of R&B-inspired pop with, like, intricate sounds and synthesizers and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, I want to be able to go on stage and not have to dance to every song and have dancers and stuff like that and just have a band and feel like a, a rock star. Yeah, she clearly was not an R&B girl, and she did not want to dance. She just wanted to rock out. 
white girl vibes. Commercially, for a Mandy Moore album, this album did pretty well. It debuted and peaked at number 35 on the US Billboard 200 and received a gold certification. The track 17 actually was released as a single in Asia as well because the album was fucking selling in the Philippines. Like, I'm talking like platinum on platinum in the Philippines. Epic wanted to release the album in worldwide territories where the first album did well, so Asia was huge. It was four times platinum in the Philippines and it became the 33rd best-selling Western album of all times there. So yeah, basically Mandy Moore was huge in the Philippines. Who the fuck knew? The album also became her second album to reach the top 40 in New Zealand, where it peaked at number 39, and it also reached number 37 in Australia. Worldwide, it has sold 1.5 million copies and is her third best-selling album of her entire discography. So as much as she may not give this album the love that it deserves, I am here at Planet 2000s to do so for her. Mandy, this third album is great. I'm so happy that it's finally on streaming, you guys. It was not on streaming for so many years, and only in the last couple of years, I think it was only last year, that it showed up on streaming, and I started rediscovering it, and I was reminded, I'm like, wow, I loved this album. You know, a special, special shout out to the song You Remind Me. That's a song I loved as a kid, and Saturate Me. Those are the two that I loved. I actually remember my mom at the time of this, when I bought this CD, looking at the song titles being like, Saturate Me? How old is this young girl? And I was like, I don't even know what that means. Honestly, I still don't know what it means. Can somebody, you know, give me the intel on what Saturate Me means? Anyways, you guys, have a great day, and jam out to this album, you know, let me know on Instagram in my comments on this post about this podcast episode what your favorite songs are from this album and stay tuned because next week we're going to be talking about Usher, Super Bowl King Usher with his Here I Stand album. All right, you guys, happy days. See you next time.